0: Hello and welcome to Nerd Night. My name is Anna. And I'm Chris. And this is the thing that we do. Hiya, buddies. (laughs) This is Nerd Night Reno, a sometimes in person, sometimes in your ears talk series, allowing people a platform to give TED style talks on whatever they're nerdy about. If you're interested in giving a talk, you can reach out. Chris, how can you reach out?
1: (laughs) You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on nerdnightreno.com.
0: And I will say, Chris designed this website and it's just drop dead gorgeous. So, uh, you know, like, give us some clicks and like, or, you know, what do you want on the internet?
1: <laughs> Money or something. I don't know. On the show today, we have Valentina Alassum. Uh, she's a PhD candidate at the University of Nevada, Reno in the Ecology, Evolution, and Conservation Biology program. She's going to be talking about her research, which looks at artificial light at night.
0: Hi, Val. Welcome to our Nerd Night podcast. Thanks for
2: having me. I'm so stoked. Aw, we're stoked Aww. to have you. <laughs>
1: What made you interested in studying Alan?
2: Alan, it's the acronym we use for artificial light at night. As a kid, I wasn't a nerd about this at all, or even like ecology. But I guess when I escaped suburbia after high school, I started going outside and like thinking about nature more. And I got really concerned with pollution and like all the ways humans are trashing our environment. I didn't really start thinking about light as a pollution until I got to grad school. And I think what hooked me was like, it kind of also starts this conversation about communication, which I'm super interested in, like how animals communicate with each other and like how they use cues in their environment to communicate with their environment and know things. And then also like side note, I guess I've also always been afraid of the dark. Like I actually sleep with a nightlight. <laughs> I have, have slept with a nightlight most of my life until, until I started studying this or with the lights just fully on because I'm lazy and I don't mind. And I have a really hard time, like, staying awake at night and functioning after dark. So when I started learning about circadian rhythms, it really caught my attention.
0: I laugh because I know you and it's just, like, so true. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, still have a nightlight, but I don't use it. (laughs) Is it, like, shaped like a teddy bear or something? (laughs) It's shaped like a hellbender,
2: obviously. And I only use it when the monsters come out. I try and not. Okay, so I know
0: outside of your own research, you're also an advocate for diversity in STEM, science, engineering, technology. Wait, what's the T? Is it technology in math? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you um, and to our society?
2: Yeah. For a lot of folks, being in a marginalized group or minority in a white male-dominated field isn't as straightforward of an experience as it sounds like when we talk about it. Like talking about the importance of quote unquote, seeing yourself or like feeling included. And like my childhood self never had like a moment in my head where I was literally saying to myself, oh, there's no Brown ladies doing that. So I must not be invited. But I mean, those feelings of not being good enough or not belonging, those ideas of like what society expects of you really get ingrained nonetheless in kind of a subtle way over time. And so it's become as an adult it's a real passion of mine to like just encourage like being transparent about all the ways that we're diverse and unique and work to dissolve that notion that there's a typical picture of a scientist or an academic or dissolve the notion that anyone needs to fit into any box at all to live their life and do what they want to do you know um and it's always just a drop in the water but uh i think it's important to just like be a role model you know at the very least and then also just you know on down the patriarchy and change the system and all that, but. Right.
0: <laughs> but that's a whole separate nerd night. Let's get into your nerd night.
2: Hi, my name is Valentina and I'm a PhD student, which means I've been nerding out about the same thing for four years straight now. Um, and that's light pollution and all the ways that light pollution affects animals and plants and us and ecosystems and evolution, you name it. I could literally go on forever. So for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to take you all down this rabbit hole with me. And yeah, to start, you have to understand that the earth is really, really old. Um, and humans didn't invent electric light until like the 1800s, which was 200 something years ago. Um, But life in all of its forms has evolved for 4 billion years with just natural light, dark patterns, day and night, you know, earth spinning on its axis and rotating around the sun. It's basically the most predictable cycle on the planet. And so all organisms, literally all organisms have evolved ways to detect light and know when the sun is coming up. And a lot of biological processes are entrained accordingly with the cycles of light and dark and day and night. Um, If you think about plants, like plants have photoreceptors and photoreceptors, just a fancy word for cells that respond to light basically. But you can think about plants when they, when you put them outside, their leaves absorb light, light hits their leaves, they start to photosynthesize and they start to make sugar for themselves and they grow. And humans have photoreceptors too. They just don't make us food. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) But we have eyes and in those eyes there are photoreceptors. And when light hits our eyes those photoreceptors react and start a cascade of things in our bodies like waking up um, melatonin goes down our metabolisms start to ramp up and we're ready to start our day and so all living things from humans to insects bacteria deep sea creatures you might think have never seen the sun before all have a way of responding to light cues in the environment and This makes light pollution, I think, one of the most universally um, important pollutants on the planet. And so when I first started thinking about this, it was kind of simple. Like when I'm working late at night in the office with all the lights on and I have no idea what time it is, I can stay up pretty late. But when I'm out camping in the fall and the sun goes down at five, I'm exhausted and I'm ready for bed by 6.30 p.m. And like I said, this is because when the light goes down, melatonin increases and our bodies literally start to wind down with the sun. And artificial light stimulates, artificially stimulates the photoreceptors in my eyes, makes my body and my brain think it's still daytime. So it artificially keeps processes running in my body that are supposed to be turning off and prevents other processes that are supposed to be turning on um, when I go to sleep. And sleep is really important for a lot of things, immune function, cardiovascular system, hormone cycles, basic cell functions. And so research uh, several decades ago now started showing that night shift workers who are awake all throughout the night are at higher risk for things like heart disease, metabolic disorders, depression, cancer. And it's not just because people are up late at night eating 7-Eleven pizzas and making poor life choices at three in the morning. It's because literally the photons in light are hitting our eyes and triggering these reactions in our bodies and so one solution that people have come up with is changing the color of outdoor lights so recently just in the past few years like what used to be a lot of the lights outdoors used to be high pressure sodium lights which are those kind of yellower old-fashioned lights like the cartoon light bulb that you're used to seeing Um, but leds have now kind of taken over because they're energy efficient and a lot cheaper and they last forever. But LEDs are more of this white light color, like full spectrum light, full rainbow in there. Um, And it's better for us like visually to see. But the problem is these are actually really, really similar to sunlight itself compared to those yellower lights that were not so similar as far as like the wavelengths and the colors in that light. And so they're extra stimulating to our photoreceptors, which again, have evolved to respond to the sun. And so if we go back to using yellower, softer hues of light, this reduces how stimulating it is and can reduce a lot of the health effects that we're seeing in humans. And that's pretty easy too, because LEDs, they come in white, but you can also, if you go to Home Depot, you'll see like they come in all different hues. And so you can just buy warmer color temperatures, these like yellower forms of lights and, and essentially solve a lot of problems. But the thing is, it's not actually that simple. And so this is where it gets, if you don't think I'm a nerd yet, this is where it it starts to get really nerdy.
1: We're going to take a quick commercial break and be back with more Nerd Night Reno.
0: We're supported by Archive Wine Plus Beer. Whether you're looking to pair a drink with dinner or your next binge through The Witcher series, Archive Wine has you covered with a thoughtful collection of wine and craft beers from family owned wineries and independent breweries from around the world. So toss a coin to Archive Wine Plus Beer today, located in West Street Market at 148 West Street.
1: And we're back. So Val, just before we went to break, we were at the point of your talk where you were discussing LED lights. And I was interested in the history of this. If white lights are so bad, why did they become the standard?
2: Yeah, good question. Actually, it's funny, because before the idea that white light is bad became popularized, it was actually advertised as a strategy like to increase focus like businesses and offices would use bright white leds because it actually increases productivity of their employees and like keeps their employees awake um and if you buy if you buy lights at like a hardware store you can see they actually market different colors like the softer yellower hues are quote unquote relaxing colors compared to like the cooler ones so you can buy like relaxing colors for like your lounge at home, you know, so it's not actually new information. It's just that once we realized that it was having these health effects or light was having these health effects. And like, I think we started to change the way we think about it. And, um, I think it originally became the standard because like I said, our photoreceptors are like maximally sensitive to it. So it does actually result in us having the best vision. If you want to put lights out on a street or a road and like have people see the best. Then it makes sense to use this light that looks like the sun. And so you can basically see if it's bright enough with a bright white LED that mimics the sun, you can basically just see is just like it was daylight out. But now that we know there's a cost and that like, you know, causing a lot of health effects for humans and also animals, then it's really not hard to just switch back to the yellower hues. Like we live for a while with them. We live for a while without light, but we live for a while with like the high pressure sodium lights that are yellower and could see fine. So I think it's more that people just have gotten used to having really high visibility and lights and they feel less comfortable now when you change them back. But changing them back to a yellower or even just like a dimmer intensity, there's not actually any research that says that would like make the world less safe for us. Hopefully people will start realizing that there are extreme consequences and like we can just start dimming the lights, you know?
0: And your eyes adjust, right? <laughs>
2: They do. And like, light. That's... dude, yeah. I mean, that's what I've been thinking about. It was like, people love these bright lights, but actually I feel like what, like when I am hiking with a headlamp, for example, like I can see my feet, but I'm so unaware of my surroundings. I'm like, I can't see anything if I like look to my left and right. So I actually feel like it's it's kind of like more safe to just not have so much night lights so that I'm like, my eyes adjust and I can see more broadly than like have a super bright light focusing me in on the mcdonald's sign and then i like i'm super unaware of like all the potential danger around me at all times
0: your research is centered around photoreception but eyes do more than just detect light right there are some eyes that are better at distinguishing shapes some that can see in uv or even underwater or in really dark places um can we just like take a minute to appreciate that and geek out on some of our favorite
2: visual systems? <laughs> oh my God, please. That's why I'm here. <laughs> well, okay, I'm I mean, I'm not actually I don't know. There's so many different visual systems out there. And there so there's people doing really cool stuff where they actually model like what a what a bird sees using what we know about their photoreception and like put that picture out there. And so you could probably Google this, but like there's pictures of blackbirds that just turn into these like sparkling rainbow fluff balls and they're so cute when you when you see what they look like through the bird's eyes right through the uv reflectance um and like chris this one's for you there's like this blue bottle butterfly that has 15 different kinds of photoreceptors which i think is the record for insects and it's and then in that case like it's not just seeing like outside of the visual spectrum like roy biv into uv but it's like seeing in between the colors right because they have like the blue photoreceptor then like the blue green and then like the blue green green and it's like you're seeing all this stuff in between so like I have no clue what that would be like and so you can make models and kind of try and describe like what they might see based on what their photoreceptors are sensitive to in reality there's no way of us ever knowing like what that butterfly sees it's, it's just impossible and no matter how much I study it and learn about it it's like a totally losing game to think that we ever know what we know is ever like the whole truth about it um or even comes close to what the butterfly is experiencing or like in the context of my research like there's no way of us really ever knowing what light pollution might be doing to other organisms and this is like it's kind of a theme that i think i think about a lot in my life in different contexts and it also just goes back to like why i'm interested in like these diversity issues too is just like it's kind of how it's the same way empathy works, right? Like we we do our best to understand each other, um, but in the end, we never have like 100% of the picture of what other people are seeing and feeling and other what other people are experiencing is unique and specific to them. And so instead of trying to like make assumptions based on the limited evidence that we have, we just like have to be kind and open to every person and experience. So um,
0: back to your talk, Um, I have heard you talk about this a number of times and it always fascinates me, but (laughs) the fact that reptiles and birds can passively perceive light or like detect light through their skulls, crazy, (laughs) number one. Do we have any idea why that evolved? Like, which came first, like the head eyes or the head eyes? (laughs) (laughs) The
2: head eyes. (laughs) oh okay (laughs) next question no I'm (laughs) for birds so yeah it's it's really something I talk about a lot because I think it's super cool too but and for birds it's it's actually through the skull because bone their bones bird bones are holy like kind of like styrofoam or bubble wrap hollow yeah they're hollow but I like to say holy because they're not just like a big tube you know it's it's kind of like bubble wrap or something but Mm um all these little air pockets that help them be lightweight and fly and so they actually the light can just go straight through the skull and hit these photoreceptors that are sitting on top of the brain um and then for lizards and other animals sometimes um it's more of a proper what's called parietal eye where it's you can actually see like a a little spot on the top of their heads um, on the skin but i don't know why it evolved like maybe i should look more into this i feel like it definitely helps them navigate Um, and like, if you think about like a lizard or a bird moving around, they're not like looking up at a 90 degree angle all the time to figure out where the moon is. And so for migration or stuff like that, um, or even just any knowing the time of day, I think it definitely helps them like be able to see the light and know where the moon is, know where the moon is, know where the sun is, know what time of day it is without just like craning their neck up all the time. And I feel like the most likely answer is that it evolved and there's just not a lot of downside to it like if you can have an extra eye on your head like why not it doesn't seem to have any like consequences for fitness like so it's probably that it just it evolved and it's there and it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon because it now it's important yeah for for navigation and all that stuff
1: all right well why don't we get into the second half of your talk and we'll have some more questions for you at the end
2: what I've been thinking about a lot recently is how light pollution affects all different kinds of organisms differently because the thing is yes all organisms have photoreceptors but they're all different Um, across the tree of life there's actually thousands of different kinds of photoreceptors and even within the same kind different species will have like slightly different variations of that kind of photoreceptor Um, and again when I say photoreceptor I'm talking about these cells that are light sensitive. So it's, it's basically just that all organisms have slightly different kinds of cells that have evolved to respond to light in kind of different ways. And you might think, why? Like, if we all evolved under the sun, why is there so much variation? Well, there's a lot of things about our environment that help kind of tune how these cells have evolved. For example, pollinating species like bees or other insects or hummingbirds tend to be more sensitive to the colors of light that help them see the flowers they get nectar from, right? And nocturnal animals have way higher sensitivity to dim light than you or I might even like not be able to see because they they function at night when they have to and so they have to be able to see well at night. Aquatic organisms are sensitive to different colors of light depending on the quality of water they live in, like fresh water differs from salt water, clear water differs from more turbid or algae covered water. Plants have evolved Uh, photoreceptors. They have some that respond to bluer wavelengths and others that respond to redder wavelengths. And they somehow use, like, the ratio of these different hues of light to make decisions about, like, when to grow and what direction to grow in, depending on the quality of light in their environment. And the other thing is plants, animals, microbes, are constantly exposed to our light pollution. They can't just go home and shut their blinds and call it a night like we do. And this is really cool. A lot of organisms like reptiles and birds have photoreceptors in the tops of their brains. Um, And so these photoreceptors are stimulated by artificial light. Even when they close their eyes, they can sense light through their skull. (laughs) It's pretty sweet, Um, but it makes them respond right to this light pollution that's just constantly out in their environment, even when they're trying to sleep. And not only are things sensitive to different colors and intensities of nightlight, but they also just respond differently. Even the same kinds of organisms can respond super differently. Like, I'm going to talk a lot about birds because that's what I know the best, but like for most birds, they can fly and move around. And so some species choose to avoid the cities. They just like live elsewhere, while other species love the lights and you'll see them constantly just out and about feeding on insects at the you know 24-hour mcdonald's and this affects the insects and the insect populations because some species are getting snacked on more than others and it depends what kind of bird species are out there doing the snacking and what they prefer to eat and then these baby birds that are getting fed at all hours of the night are growing faster and heavier and leaving their nests earlier And so maybe it means like getting first dibs on the nesting spots for the season, or maybe it means they're leaving their nest too early and then they die in the first like spring frost. And nightlight can also like change species distributions. So migrating species use light to orient and often confuse the city lights with the moon. So they're taking stops on these migration routes in different places than they normally would because they are getting confused orienting and like going towards the cities instead of following the moon for direction. And animals that are used to living in seasons, for example, when the days are getting shorter, that signals that winter is coming. And now with nightlight, these signals of shorter day length aren't as clear and these animals are getting confused. And so light pollution is messing up seasonal timing of things too, like animals knowing when to migrate or when to breed and things like that. Another really cool example of this like diversity in the way that animals are responding is like one one study that just came out, and I can't remember um where, but they showed that dim light at really, really low intensities, kind of like sky glow that like I was talking about earlier, just like very low, low levels of ambient night light, actually increased predation. Um, of these wasps these um, parasitic wasps that eat aphids um, which are little insects that that live on uh, plants and at dim levels predation was increased because the predators could see better I think and could just like eat a lot more and were better at hunting but then at brighter levels the predators actually avoided and so in this specific system like because the response depended on the intensity of the nightlight The same two organisms living around the same exact nightlight could have a different response depending on whether they're like, you know, one foot away from the light or 10 feet away from the light or 20 feet away from the light, which is just like so interesting because it just shows that like no matter how much we think we understand how organisms are like seeing light and responding, it's just so dynamic. Like there's so many different things that can affect the way animals are responding to light pollution. And so I feel like the more we're learning about light pollution and the more animals we study, the more plants we study, the more systems in general, the more places we go, the more we realize we just can't assume anything. Like we can't assume that one color of nightlight is okay for everything or one certain intensity is okay. Look, there's no one-stop shop pill for solving this problem. And we do need lights, like we need lights to, you know, drive and fly and do all the human things that humans like to do at night. And so the answer isn't going to be simple. But I think it's cool, the more I think about this, the more it becomes clear that like, anything we can do to just reduce light pollution in general like you know turn off your backlight your you know backyard lights when you're not home and like have street lights that are really directed towards the street and not just like diffusing out into the environment in other places are all just like little things we can do you know just turn off the lights and i think unlike a lot of environmental toxins and, and other forms of pollution light is kind of a simple one to fix like you just have to flip the switch and you just turn off the lights, and then it's immediately just gone from that environment and the ecosystem can recover. So, yeah, that's what I'm nerdy about. And I could probably keep going for like 100 more hours, but I'll stop there. Thanks for listening.
0: So, OK, your research focuses on light pollution. And when I usually think about pollution, I think about chemicals like smog clouds or, you know, more smog clouds. Mm-hmm. Oil spills. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um but but your research sheds light on the fact <laughs> Good one. that there's more other like human pollution pollutants out there mm-hmm. um and so what are some of these other kind of like non-conventional pollutants that are actually affecting wildlife
2: um yeah light pollution is never really in isolation from other pollutants so i actually think about this a lot because it's really just one part of a city full of a ton of other shit. Think actually about noise pollution a lot, which is another kind of one that people don't often think about. So like chemicals, yes, like lead is in cities too, um, but noise pollution is actually a huge stressor. And when we go out and measure like light pollution, we also usually measure noise levels in the environment. And sometimes we find that the noise is actually stressing out wildlife way more than the light is, or in a more measurable way than the light is. Um, And that could be, yeah, because animals, like I said, have evolved to kind of respond to light cues. And so they're not really fully aware of what's going on yet, but noise is really disruptive for animal communication and like also keeps things awake, but also like changes the way they communicate with each other and it causes a ton of issues. So noise is a big one. And it was cool because actually during the pandemic, um, some colleagues of mine published a study where they noticed that like the noise traffic noise went down, like for the first six months in California when everything was super locked down and people weren't driving anywhere and the birds actually changed the pitch of their singing back to normal, like noise pollution had changed the way the birds were singing so that they could hear each other over the sound of traffic. And then in that quick, like few months time, they just happened to be already measuring this because they were doing a study that, you know, was going on anyways, they the pitches actually changed back or something like that. So it was, it was really cool. Um, So animals are resilient, which is great. Oh my God, I
0: love that.
1: That (laughs) is so cool. I think that leads really well into our next question, which in your talk, you talk about how receptors have been something that like is different across a lot of species. Like there's been a lot of, it seems evolution on that trait or, you know, the genetic underpinnings of that trait. Um, And so are there examples um, of like adaptations, either behavioral or like genetic changes to populations in response to Allen or to noise, right? Or, or other stressors of cities.
2: Yeah, there's definitely been, um, I mean, if we're talking about light in specifically, I think the major one is shifting the time of behavior. So a lot of animals are, and so this is, um, going back to circadian rhythms, like the, the timing of their circadian rhythms is shifting so that there's, they're waking up earlier to start feeding and hanging out. Um, Or they're staying up all night. But the thing is, we don't really know whether these responses are evidence of adaptation or if it's just flexibility. Like, it could be that the changing of behavior is actually just this response that animals have already had to respond to moonlight, for example, because a lot of animals during the full moon will actually stay up later or or wake up earlier and, and be active at night. And so it could be that they already had that response and now we're just seeing it kind of manifest every on a daily basis instead of only during the full moon. And it's not actually changing the fitness of the animals or like having any genetic heritable change that we would call in adaptation. Nonetheless, we are seeing these changes in traits, like the timing of things. And also we're seeing changes in like some animals will be attracted to the lights and some will be will avoid them. And so when you have the same species living all together and then suddenly you put this nightlight up and some animals are hanging out by the streetlight all the time, eating all the insects and other ones are avoiding it because they hate the cars and they're afraid of it. Cause you know, animals have personalities. Some of them like it, some of them don't. And when you have that going on, now you're like splitting up this population and you're changing who mates with who, you're changing what they eat. So you're having these like broad ecosystem effects and those changes will totally cause adaptations because yeah, now you're having all these like-minded folks Hanging out by the street lamp, mating, and all these, you know, scaredy cats hanging out in the forest, mating, and eating different bugs, depending on like which bugs are attracted to the street light or not. And oh, I could go on forever, but like, you know, it depends on the color because if there's like a white light versus a yellow or red light, it'll change the kind of insects that are- go to those lights and it'll change the kind of birds that want to go to those insects and it'll change like just so many things. So, adaptation definitely happening. But it's complicated and I have no idea how or why.
0: (laughs) I've been super interested in like uh, just urban bees for so long now. And so we need to collaborate. I'm already (laughs) writing the grant. Let's go. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Sweet. Anything else, Chris? I
1: have one final question. Say asking for a friend, somebody were in the market for a sweet new nightlight. What colors am I looking for?
2: Oh, man. Well, this is hilarious because I just wrote a whole paper about like how it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> well, because because I'm at that stage now where I just think every kind of nightlight is terrible. So just don't buy it. Turn it off <laughs> is the answer. I mean, I think, okay, if you want it, if this is for you, you should definitely buy a warmer color temperature light, something yellower with a red hue, because it will actually screw up your own circadian rhythms if you have a very white bright light. And definitely the birds around would prefer it. That's as far as I know. But there's so many things out there. Like nature is so full of life. I and it depends on the season
0: too, right? Like yeah. which, which type of light uh, they're
2: picking up more mm-hmm. of. That's the thing. Which like, is cool. Responses vary <laughs> different times of years. Like light light could be way more disruptive during like breeding season than it is in other seasons. Yeah. So yeah, for your friend, Chris, <laughs> turn off the fucking lights.
1: Cool. <laughs> thanks. I'll, I will pass that along.
2: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Yeah. Fix it with the flip of a switch. Oh, man. (laughs) Totally. Thanks, Val. It's so much fun to have you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yay. All right. I love you.
2: (laughs) Uh, Okay, cool. See you later, guys.
1: (laughs) 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 Music by singer-songwriter John Amadon. If you want to give a talk, reach out to us on our Facebook, Instagram, or on nerdnightreno.com.